0: All right. Well, we're in Titus chapter 3 today, uh, wrestled with what to do today. Uh, I'm not done talking about orphans and unspotted by the world, uh, but I thought, you know, it's Christmas. Um, I don't see me not helping you think your way through Christmas. I exhorted you last week to prepare. Um, And I thought I might be a part of the solution, not just be an exhortation to say, hey, I want to calibrate you. I had the opportunity to to do devotions at our Christmas chapel on Friday. And some of those thoughts I wanted to nurture a little bit that meditation, that devotional, and kind of dig in a little deeper. And in an effort to help you prepare yourself, Um, the holidays are busy, yes, a lot of activity. Um, For our students, it's finals week. Um, For many, there's the end of the school year and all the activities that go with it. Perhaps there's, you know, if you're a retailer, you got to work really hard because your season is defined by December. Um, You make it or you break it this month. Some of you have to produce in certain ways. If you're a mother and a homemaker, you just have to survive the season and uh, maybe enrich it with a little extra effort. Um, to decorate and to, to prepare. It's busy. And uh, I want to encourage you to daily, and that's, this is my big idea exhortation, to daily promote the priority that helps you prepare to celebrate the unrivaled, I can't believe God would do this gift of gifting us his son. The incarnation is beyond description, it's incomprehensible, it's immeasurable fathomless, which means you can't measure the depth of it. It's immeasurable in terms of the extent of it. It's mind-bending, mind-blowing by way of the reality associated with the marvel that we celebrate called the advent, the advent of Jesus Christ, the appearing. And I want to talk a little bit about that today, and I want to prompt you to think about and to focus on the passage we're about to unpack as a devotional journey to prepare your heart. I uh, was telling the students on Friday, I, I, I made a mistake I oh, right before Black Friday, uh, which is, I can't believe they're going to give me this kind of discount Friday. And you know, they start that like on Wednesday. I mean, Black Friday wasn't Friday at my house, at least by way of the notices I received on my phone. But I was getting the benefit of something happening on Wednesday, pre-Black Friday sale. Thursday, then Black Friday came, and then it was now Cyber Monday, and there were these opportunities to capitalize on kind of once-a-year discounts. And uh, I had a set of Bose headphones that I've had since I was pastoring in Birmingham. Uh, Noise canceling, when you travel, you put them on, it kind of kills that sound of the, the, the motors and kind of gives you an opportunity to kind of go into a category of somewhat solitude, although airplanes aren't always a place of rest and relaxation. Can you say amen to that? No, if you travel, you know that's not true, but this helps. And this has a cord. It's uh, You got to plug it in, and my cord's gone bad, and so it it sometimes works. Left ear sometimes doesn't do its job. And so I thought, ah, oh, Black Friday, they have a lot of discounts on Black Friday. So here's what I Google: Best noise canceling wireless earphones. Boy, was that a mistake. Every day, including today at 3.56 a.m., I had a post on my phone, are you interested in these wireless headphones? Now, listen to me, one thing for that to happen once a week, it happens every day. Every day I get a prompter to say, hey, don't miss out. Hey, you, you ought to do this. Now, frankly, I resented a little bit of that until I realized, you know what? That's effective. That everyday reminder, do you know what retailers have learned? That works. If you want to prepare people to maximize the holidays from a commercial vantage point, remind them every day. Make sure they're thinking about it. Make sure they have to make a choice about it. You know, I'd like to encourage you to do that from a spiritual vantage point, not a commercial vantage point. They know it's important. And I said this, I used to be in retail when I was in seminary. Every year, December mattered. It was make or break for the company I worked for. Because it matters to retailers. And they do whatever it takes. You know what matters more? The spiritual focus that you have and the reward and the benefit that it can produce in your life as you dig in and you contemplate and you every day focus on what's incomprehensible. To the end that God will mature your thinking, draw your heart toward His, to illuminate, to inspire, to encourage at a minimum, to cause you to worship in a way you haven't. I'm 61 years old. I've done a few Christmases. But having done a bunch of them doesn't mean that I have exhausted the potential of understanding in richer, bigger, and more significant ways the wonder of the appearing of Jesus Christ. And like John... Jonathan said, as we were singing, you can get into the normative, habitual rhythm and go through the motions, if you will, and kind of sing the carols and do your thing. And before you know it, you're through it. And it may have been a good Christmas as defined by family and friends and maybe gifts you gave or gifts you got, places you saw, memories you made, what I call the Hallmark Christmas. You know that one? The one where it's all about the season and the goodwill and the fellowship and hot chocolate and, and uh, special times of gathering and music you play, all of the sentimental, nostalgic, cultural, you know, you can do all of that and not get the point, not maximize the point. I mean, we're all going to give lip service to the idea, and I don't mean that in a denigrating way. We all are going to acknowledge God became a man. But when God became a man, what did that do for us? What what are the outworkings of that that are so bombastic, so amazing? When he appeared, what did we get to enjoy in the gift that was represented when God became a man? And that's really what I want to focus on today, a little bit of an out-of-the-way passage. But the main word in this whole section is the word appearing. The word appear is phanos or phano, which has the idea of phanao, has the idea of shine on, like you turn the light on something. Take a flashlight and you shine it. That's the main word. But there's a prefix on the front of it that Greek uses to amplify the shining, to intensify it, to to amplify the shining, like instead of flashlight, think searchlight, think spotlight. Think of the stage of humanity and someone comes onto the stage and the spotlight shines on them and exposes them in an undeniable expression that is meant to help us see what otherwise we might miss, to experience what otherwise we may not consider. This is the spotlight of God. And when Jesus Christ appeared, things came with him that ought to be celebrated and worshiped. And I want to enrich your worship to the end that God will enable me this morning out of Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. And this is where I want to encourage you to spend some time this next two weeks, whatever we have left between now and Christmas Day. Verse 4 But when. The kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. See the word appeared? His kindness, his love, it appeared. Spotlight came on, you got to see it. When that kindness and love appeared, verse 5, Consequentially, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. When he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our savior, that's the one who appeared that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of, of eternal life. My message this morning is called The Appearing. If I'm subtitling it. It is in the inconce- com- incomprehensible kindness and the immeasurable love of God. The Appearing. This kindness is immeasurable. This love you can't fathom because of what occurred as a consequence of this appearing. So I want to focus on that today, and I want you to consider the wonder of the words related to the coming of Jesus Christ, because the appearing is about a person, and the rich gifts that came as a consequence of his coming, his advent. What we celebrate at Christmas is not just family and food and carols and toys. It's a person. It's about the, I can't believe this recognition. It's about, you've got to join me in this celebration because of the loving kindness of God toward mankind, which appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, this uh, text, verse 4, when it says the Love for mankind, it's philanthropic. It's the word for love for man. It's other-centered behavior. It is the expression of kindness that is driven by a desire to bless and benefit others. The word kindness is a unique Greek word which means generous by way of the heart of it and generous in the action taken because of it. Kindness is not just an attitude, a a kind of a big heartedness. It's a big heartedness that furnishes something to meet a need. This is about the generous heart of God. This is about the generous action of God. This is about the philanthropic, I love humanity heart of God that motivated the appearing in a person. Jesus Christ, God the Son. So I want to talk a little bit about the kindness incomprehensible and the love unfathomable in terms of what it involves. I want to pack a few thoughts for you to think through. Number one is it's incomprehensible kindness, unfathomable love, because of the appearing, it involves God appearing. Now, this is the essential thought of Christmas, This is about God becoming a man. Nathan prayed it. Mark referred to it. We just sang about it. This is about the incarnation. This is about God becoming a man. This is about infinity. God, who is infinite, becoming finite in his humanity. This is about the unlimited becoming limited in his humanity. This is about the immaterial becoming material. This is about the spiritual becoming physical. This is about the creator becoming the created. This is about the served becoming a servant. This is John 1. Listen to these words and just let it press in on you. The appearing that's mind-blowing, kindness you can't measure, love, that you can't comprehend. It's because God became a man. Listen to John 1. In the beginning was. Was. Already was. Whenever the beginning was, the word already was. In the beginning was the word. Capital W. Lagos. It's a reference to what at that time was understood to be the ultimate communication from God. It involved the idea, Lagos, of the reason behind everything. It involved the wisdom behind everything, Proverbs 8, Proverbs 3. It involved the power that created everything and had this idea of, of reason and capacity, power. Whatever the source was of creation by way of its design, by way of the power that sustains it, by the way of the reason behind it, that's the logos of God, the communication of God. And in the beginning, that word, that person already was. When creation began, the word was already present because the word is eternal. And the word was with God. I don't remember who said it this morning, but uh, I heard the word face-to-face. Jesus, the face-to-face with God one. That's what the word with means. It means intimate, face-to-face, turned toward. In the beginning was, that's eternal, and the word was with, that's relational, and that's personal. This is a person with The other persons of the Godhead, relational and eternal, personal and face-to-face, intimate. And the word was God. Not became God, was God. That's undeniable. That's divinity. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And him was life. And the life was the light of men. The appearing involves the word, eternal, personal, God himself becoming flesh, John 1.14, and dwelling, taking up residence among us so that we could behold his glory, the glory of God in the flesh, so that we could see what was unseeable, so that we could know what was unknowable. The Eternal Word, who was with God and who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us hebrews one three says, in these last days, this is one two rather, in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world and as as it describes that Son, listen to these inspired. Words, he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. That's how God has spoken, and the appearing of his Son is the appearing of the incarnation of the living God, the eternal Son, who represents God and allows us to see what otherwise we couldn't know. Colossians 1.15, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Second Corinthians 4, four, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He is the exact representation of his person. Listen to 1 Peter 1.20. He, Jesus, was foreknown, that's meaning loved in advanced. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times, I love this, for the sake of you. He appeared for you. He appeared as the expression of the generous heart and action of God. He appeared out of the the love, the philanthropic love of God for humanity, men and women, old and young, made in his image. We alluded to it, Mark said it earlier, Philippians 2, the one who eternally existed in the form of God, the morphe of God, he had the nature of God, he always existed as God, who did not consider it a thing to be grasped. In other words, his divine nature experiencing the benefit of his divinity, the divine provat. Prerogatives, the divine privileges, the eternal glory, angels without number, bearing witness to his glory, his perfections, his attributes, whatever the wonder of heaven is, as Jesus enjoyed it, the Son who was before the world began, whatever that privilege was, whatever those prerogatives were, he emptied himself of those privileges and those prerogatives. He didn't hang on to them. He didn't consider them a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. He appeared as a man, as the slave of God and a slave to serve humanity. Jesus Christ, the creator appeared as a creature, the unmade appeared as something made, and not just a man, but a servant of men, and not just the servant of men, but the substitute who would die for men. We're going to celebrate that at the Lord's Supper today. What you're going to celebrate is the amazing reality that the one who appeared... Not only became one of us, to live a life in front of us that allows us to see the unseeable God, to know Him. He exegeted the, the divine, the Son who was in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him, John one eighteen. You know what Christmas is? It's God explaining God. Sending His Son. It's God identifying with man so that men could know God. The way, the truth, and the life, there is no other name whereby men must be saved. It is through the person, it is through the work of Jesus Christ. This is incomprehensible. You know what this is? This is love. I uh, googled the most extravagant gifts. Ferrari 488 says, Neiman Marcus, customized for the one you love. I want that to be on somebody's list for me. (laughs) But you know what? It doesn't equal the extravagance of this gift. This is mind-blowing kindness. This is, I can't believe you would love me like this. But it was more than his appearing to explain God to us. It was to save us, which is why verse 5 begins with this declaration, when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind had appeared, here's highlighted words, he saved us. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, which we had done. And by the way, in the Greek language, that's emphatic. That's at the front of the sentence. This sentence in the original language begins with not through the deeds that we had done. It's in the emphatic primary position meant to say, hey, don't miss this. This salvation, this rescue, this deliverance, it's not because of something you did. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness. He saved us. Saved us from what? Well, contextually, look at verse 3. When you go to the table today, you need to remember who you were before you were rescued. Verse 3 says, We also, we also as a way of saying, not just you, but me too. We also were once foolish ourselves. You know what the word foolish is? It's the word mind, like brain with a big X over it. No mind. You know what we would say? When we were dumb. When our mind wasn't thinking clearly. When our when we were being foolish, we were being, we don't use this at my house, when we were being stupid. We weren't thinking. We were enduring and behaving in a way that represented a lack of rational living and logical living. It was foolish. It didn't make any sense. For we were once foolish ourselves. Look at this word, disobedient. It's an interesting, dis- this word disobedient. It means to not be persuaded. It's the word persuaded with a big X over it. You couldn't be persuaded. Nobody could influence you. You know what we would say? Stubborn. I not only was dumb and stupid, I was stubborn. I wasn't listening. I wasn't listening to the voices of leadership in my life, the word of God, the people of God, the wisdom of God. I I just, you couldn't persuade me. I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm going to do it to my own detriment. I'm dumb. I'm disobedient. And you know why I am? Here's a causal causal participle. Because I was deceived. Do you see the next word, verse 3? Disobedient, deceived. That's literally being deceived. Because I was deceived. Remember when we did James 1 or James 5, we talked about the brother who wanders from the truth. This is the word for wander. I'm just roaming off the path. It's a passive verb or participle. I'm wandering off the path because I'm buying what somebody else is selling in contradiction to the truth. You know what I was saved from? Mindless, stubborn, deceived living. Influenced by the culture. And watch what else Titus 3 says. I was a slave. I was a slave to various lusts and pleasures. Fleshly desires, the word pleasures is the word we get from hedonism. I'm just chasing satisfaction, human gratification. You know what I was? I was a slave to satisfying myself, my carnality. This is a present active participle. This is the way I lived. Somebody else wasn't just influencing me. I was making choices that enslaved me. I was with one of the administrators at the university this week, and we were taking a break during one of our meetings. And I said, Paul, tell me me about yourself before you met Christ. How'd you get here? And and he was describing the, the stubborn and stupid guy that he was. His words, not mine. And he said, in my mouth, oh, my mouth, I couldn't stop cussing to save my life. I was a slave to attitudes, behaviors, and passions. I couldn't break it. That's what this involves. involves deception and slavery to passions and desires to satisfy myself. And then watch this word, the net result. I'm wasting my life. I spend. That's what the word spend involves. I'm spending assets, spending our life in malice and in envy. It's like malice and envy are a big cloud, and that's what I live in. Malice is spiteful. Envy is I want what I don't have. And if you have it, I resent you for having it. That's the cloud in which I lived my life. It was all about me. I was a narcissist. I wanted what I wanted. I wanted to get it the way I wanted it. I'm enslaved to it. I can't break it. I'm being deceived by the world. I'm stubborn. I'm foolish. And then watch these words. Verse 3. Hateful. The word hateful here has the idea of of being disgusted. I'm just disgusted with you. you. You repulse me. It's that flavor. And it says, I'm hateful. That's who I am. And then I express that disgust to others. I roll my eyes. I can't stand you. I am, before I was rescued, a piece of work. was hopeless. Couldn't fix myself, couldn't fix my tongue, couldn't reform myself. I joined the societies that are meant to support me in recovery. I just couldn't get there. This is salvation and rescue from the drowning in my guilt and pain because of the foolish disobedience that was the description of my life. This is God had to rescue me because I was deceived and enslaved to lust and pleasure. God had to deliver me because I was self-destructive in my hate, not just for others, but you know, in our humanity, we can turn that hate on ourselves. Listen, if I can't hurt you by hating you, I can turn that hatred on me so I don't feel what you're displaying towards me. I can hate me before you do. That's hateful and hating one another. And you know what the appearing did? It's not just God coming. It's God coming to rescue. It's God rescuing. Oh. And it's not by deeds of righteousness, which I have done. Which leads to this question. So how did he do it? Well, I tell you, he didn't do it through me. He didn't do it through you. He did it, Hebrews 9, 26, at the consummation of the ages, he has appeared or been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What we're, going to wor- what we're going to worship God for today and celebrate is how God rescued us. Not by our work, not by our merit, but by the blood of His cross. In the consummation of the ages, He has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Which is a way to say He did what we couldn't do at His own expense. Let me tell you what that is. That's extravagant. It's not just what he exchanged in becoming a man. It's what he exchanged that glory to do. By the blood of his cross, he paid what we owed. He satisfied a debt we could not pay by the sacrifice of himself. Listen to Colossians 1.19, and I'm going to emphasize a few words, 19 through 22. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness, the pleroma, the, the, the reality and substance of God, for all of the fullness to dwell in Him. It was God's good pleasure to incarnate His Son. And through him, the incarnated one who appeared to reconcile all things to himself. How? Having made peace with whom? God. We were enemies. Having made peace with God through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say. In other words, in case you missed it. Not through you, but through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in the heavens. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds. That's who I was before I was rescued. Yet he has now reconciled you. He has now reconciled you in his fleshly body. You know what that is? The incarnation This is God becoming a man so that he could represent men and do for you what you can't do through all the deeds you can muster in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The dumb, defiant, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, hateful, hating others, disgusted, With himself and with others, the one who's in a cloud of envy and malice, God saved by the appearing of the kindness of God, the philanthropic love of God in the person of the gift of God, Jesus Christ the righteous. Can you say amen to that? See, we celebrate a gift. Unimaginable. He changed us by His work on the cross. Listen to 1 John 3, 5. And you know that He appeared, there's our word, in order to take away sins. 1 John 3, 8. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, that He might destroy the works of of the devil, Listen to 2 Timothy 1, 9. For God has saved us. God has called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed. Grace from all eternity has now been revealed by the appearing of uh, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Let me tell you what Christmas is. It's the appearing of, I can't believe you would do this for me, Grace. This is a kindness that is so generous, I don't even know how to measure it. But you know what? I'm inclined over these holidays to not dig in deep enough to even be amazed by it. we have gotten used to the sound of it. It is incomprehensible kindness. It is unfathomable. And you know what? It doesn't just save, rescue, and deliver you. Listen to this. It remakes you. It changes you. He said, Paul, talk to me a little bit about that tongue. He said, you know, it's an amazing thing. When I got saved, he was in a legalistic kind of Church of Christ setting where you knew all the rules and you were overladen with guilt. If you're a Catholic, you might have grown up this way. You know you're not cutting it. But you don't know what to do about it. And you're trying really hard, but you're not making ground. And you can't change. And you want to change. And you feel burdened by guilt. And you're overwhelmed with shame. And you try to numb it. You try to run from it. You try to ignore it. But you can't change it. So, Paul, what happened? He said, when I got saved, I stopped cussing. I said, how hard did you work for that? I didn't have to work for that. I don't know. God just did it. Now, listen, I'm not arguing that when you become a Christian, that always happens instantly. But I'll tell you what, when you become a Christian, you change. Which is why Paul says in in 2 Corinthians, old things pass away. Stuff gets put aside and new things come. You're born from above. We use the term born again, born again, born a second time, born a different way, not physically, but spiritually. Born from above. God, the Holy Spirit, does a work in us, and he transforms our heart. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God, by his kindness and grace in the appearing of Jesus and in the work of the Savior, produces a transformation through whom? The Holy Spirit. Look at what Titus says not Peter, but Titus. He saved us. How did he save us? Well, not on the basis of our deeds, which we have done in righteousness. And if you look down at verse 6, he did it through Jesus Christ, our Lord, verse 7, being justified. That's declared righteous. How? By grace. So I've been made right with God by grace through the work of Jesus Christ. But look at verse 5. Not through the deeds, the Actions which we had done in righteousness, but... Do you see that adversative? But on the other hand, here's the point of emphasis. According to his mercy, to not give us what we deserved. His grace, to give us lavish kindness and favor. Not because we earned it, but according to his mercy. Now watch this. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what appeared. The grace of God in the work and person of Jesus Christ and in the gift that he gave, in the lavish expression of God the Spirit, which was poured out, The washing of regeneration. I want to talk regeneration for a minute. It's the word Genesis and the word again put together. It's something created new. It's not reformation. It's regeneration. The washing, we think washing, we think of taking a bath. Lutrao, it means to be immersed. It means to be washed completely. But the washing isn't because somebody bathed me. The washing or the cleansing, here's a good way to say it. The cleansing came because God remade me. I totaled a car this fall. This is the second one in like a year and a half. Nationwide, not my friend or they don't like me as much. The question was asked, you want to repair it? Well, after I saw it, I go, I don't want to repair that. It'll never be the same. New paint, new bodywork, new parts. It's been damaged. It's been injured to the point where, yes, it can look the same. But have you ever driven a car that's been redone and when it's been significantly damaged? It's not the same. You know what I wanted? Total that sucker. Let me start over. That one's broken beyond remedy, at least to the scale and level that I'm interested in a sports car. You know what we were? Broken beyond remedy. And no reformation and no washing and no no ritual could make us what we needed to be. You know what we needed to be? Remade. We needed to be born from above. We needed to become what we have never been. Let me tell you what the regeneration is. It's the new birth. You know how God saved me? Not just by paying on the cross what I owed, but by changing me from the inside out so that dumb, disobedient, deceived, malicious, spiteful, hateful, enslaved is not the descriptor of my life. And if you're here today and you're that person, you don't have to be. Because the gift of his appearing and the gift that is the person and work of the Holy Spirit to make you what you've never been. And then it says renewing. Here's a good thing. Renewing, though it's the word new with the prefix on the front to make sure you know it's brand new. This is not old. This is not refurbished. This hasn't been in a flood where somebody fixed it and sold it at a profit. This is not salvage. I don't know if these illustrations resonate with you, but as car guys, that matters. <laughs> this is new. This is assembly line new. This is made by God New. Through the work of the Holy Spirit as a consequence of the one who appeared, and when he ascended to heaven, he said, I'm going to send you a helper, another of the same kind who's going to be with you. So you're transformed by the Holy Spirit, and you are conformed by the Holy Spirit. The one who begins the good work will continue to perform it. Through whom? The person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what I poured out on you. That's how you were saved. You were not only transformed, you were being sanctified so you conform to the likeness of God's firstborn Son. This is incomprehensible kindness. This is unfathomable love because God saved us and He changed us. And it was because of his mercy and by his grace. It's incomprehensible because we deserved death and we got mercy. It's unfathomable because we did not deserve life and we got grace. It's amazing because we were broken beyond remedy and he remade us after he redeemed us. It's remarkable because we were stained with sin and he washed and he cleansed us. Merry Christmas. And if that's not enough, the scripture goes on to say, look at verse 7. He poured all of that out richly through Jesus Christ, the one who appeared, that being justified by his grace, watch this, we might be made heirs. He reseated us. Seat, F E A T. He reseated us. He seated us in Christ, in the heavenlies. What does that mean? I'm an heir of everything Jesus is an heir to. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I never performed well enough on any given day of my life to justify it. But because of his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his love, because of the appearing, you know what I get? Status. I get a seat at the table. I'm washed, I'm renewed, I'm transformed, and I have a new position by grace. Listen to Ephesians 2. But God, this is verses 4 through 7, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ, big parenthetical, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him. Do you hear that? Seated us with him in the heavenly places. I, by way of position, enjoy privilege and honor that's eternal and immeasurable. Harry from southern New Jersey, dumb and stubborn and disobedient, deceived, enslaved, and hateful and hating others. Harry, not through works of righteousness which he has done. but by the God mercy of God and through the outworking and outpouring of the ministry and work of the Holy spirit, because of the grace lavished on me, which is what Ephesians, I get to be seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in that seat of privilege, verse seven, in order that in the ages to come, he, God might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, the appeared, the appearing, the one who appeared is the one I am now enjoying the privileges of. I'm seated with him and the lavish love of God, which is eternal, the grace you can't measure. You know what? It washes over me for eternal, for eternity. Never stops. It's not like I get bored. It's not like I've peaked out. I'm 10,000 years in, and here it comes like another wave. It's lavish grace for all of eternity. That's because Jesus Christ appeared. Can you say amen to that? Listen, I don't know what you've been thinking about this Christmas, but I want you to think about this. You've been blessed beyond measure. And that's what we're celebrating this Christmas. Because when that grace appeared, kindness was on display, love was on display. He rescued you, he remade you, and he's reseated you in a place of unrivaled privilege. Remember the name Mephibosheth? Don't say that too fast, you'll get stuck. You know who he was? He was the son of Jonathan, the best buddy of David. This is 2 Samuel chapter 9. After Jonathan was killed and Saul was killed in battle, David rises to the throne. What are we going to do with Mephibosheth? Really, all of Jonathan's children. You know what the normal thing was? You kill them. You know why you kill them? They're rivals. They're potential enemies. So you terminate the opposition or the competition. What are we going to do with Mephibosheth? And when he was five, he was Being carried by the one caring for him, and she stumbled and fell and apparently damaged his legs to the point where he was a lifelong cripple. What are we going to do with that guy, the crippled guy? Oh, by the way, if you read 2 Samuel chapter 9, you're going to find out that he came from a little town called Lodabar, which means land of nothing. So, this is a guy with nothing coming from the land of nothing, crippled and not attractive. What did David say about him? You bring him to my table. For the rest of his life, he's going to enjoy the privilege of the table of the king. He's going to go from the land of nothing to the table of everything. Not because he had merit, but out of gracious love for his father and a promise that I made to his father. You know what? That's what Jesus has done for you. Out of love for the Father and out of love for you, He's brought you to the table and He seated you there. And you know what that is? That's unfathomable. I want to show you something. See this? It came yesterday. These are my noise canceling headphones. I gave in. I can't hear a thing you're saying. (laughs) It was funny. They came yesterday. And uh, I had ordered. I finally gave in. I really did. And uh, the the UPS was supposed to deliver them on Tuesday. You know, the two-day prime. Somebody mentioned that, too. Comes one day or two days. It was supposed to be here on Tuesday. Karen, did my headphones come? get a little indicator, you're out for delivery. They're going to be by nine o'clock. Nine o'clock comes, they don't show up. A little deal comes across my my feed from Amazon and said, sorry, it's been delayed to be there tomorrow. Now we're Wednesday. Hey, Karen, my headphones come? Got them yesterday. You know how I got them? I was in the driveway putting Karen's car away, and the UPS guy came up my road. A, a, I'm on a dirt road, and it dead ends, so you're not going by my house, at least not far. He come flying up, and I saw a UPS truck, my headphones. He throws it in reverse, backs into my neighbor's driveway, and drives out. Now, I've gotten four indications that UPS has my stuff out for delivery. I'm thinking, this is the guy, he, he's going to stop. So I climbed in Karen's Jeep, and I tracked him down over by the open space. He went up the long hill to somebody else's house. He comes down the hill. I'm doing this. He pulls over. I said, hey, you were just in my, my little street, and you just backed out. Do you have my headphones? <laughs> he looks on his little deal. Yeah, I got your headphones. I said, what were you doing? He said, that guy up the hill needed medicine right away. That's a good thing to know. Somebody needed their medicine, so he went up there, and I signed for my headphones, and I got them yesterday. He said, why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because, oh, yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. I don't hear anything Karen's asking of me. It's like the ultimate gift to a husband. Honey, I couldn't hear you. No, I'm teasing. They do work. They're really cool and way more cool than I deserve. But but you say, why am I telling you that? Because the regular reminders paid off with a kind of an excitement about something coming that caused me to run after it. And here's what I'd like to kind of challenge you with on the way out today. You decide right now, I'm going to do regular reminders By meditating on the reality of what the advent, the appearing means. You could go to chapter 2, verse 11. It begins like this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. To do what? To deny ungodliness. And he goes on to talk about the fruit of the appearing and what it's supposed to do for us. Why don't you meditate on that? But I'm, I'm really lobbying for everyday regular reminders. That grows your anticipation so that every day you're looking for, thinking about, and if you have to run after it, just to get a hold of something that's infinitely better than this. That's my prayer for you. Merry Christmas. Father, thank you for the time this morning that we have shared, trying to plumb some of the the depth of what happened when the kindness of God appeared, when his love for mankind appeared, undeserving enemies, resistant, foolish slaves to all the things that would damage and destroy us. God, help us this holiday, this unique and beautiful season where we have so many precious memories to make a new memory this year. One that marks us meditations, things we write, things we reflect on so that this Christmas is the best reflection of the greatest gift we will have ever received. Thanks for doing something we couldn't do. Help us to not go so fast to not taste it as if we're at the table of the King. To that end, I ask that for us all. In Jesus' name, amen.